Welcome back in. Brady Farkas show right here on a Friday on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Going up until 6-10 tonight, and then we've got Red Sox baseball, Sox and Yankees. Game two of a critical four-game series at Fenway. Game one was uh, crazy last night. Red Sox winning in walk-off fashion in extra innings. And joining us now to break down all things Sox is longtime Red Sox reporter Sean McAdam. Covers the team for the Boston Sports Journal and also Host a podcast on the Believe Podcast Network with our guy Steve Psycho Lyons called This Is Our Effing Podcast, and he's with us now. Sean, how are you? I'm fine, Brady. How are you? Good. Appreciate you being with us. Last night had a little bit of everything. Socks were down kind of inexplicably against that lineup. Then there's a lengthy rain delay. Then they come back with two outs in the ninth. What, what was your take on last night in general? Yeah, it, you know, that was one of those games where they probably didn't deserve to win. Um, they, they didn't distinguish themselves certainly over the first seven or eight innings. They ran into some outs on the bases, were a little too, uh, aggressive and careless. They get a, a runner thrown out at the plate when they could have taken the lead or at least yeah. had the bases loaded in the middle of the order coming up. Uh, they really, uh, you, you know, they're playing a Yankee lineup that is half major league and half Scranton Wilkesbury. The Yankees, yep. of course, have been, hit hard by a COVID outbreak and then some additional, more traditional baseball injuries. So this is not exactly a powerhouse unit. It's a time when the Red Sox should be able to uh, beat up on the Yankees a little bit and take advantage of the issues that the Yankees are going through. And yet, as we saw last week, the Yankees won two games in New York and look to be headed toward another one on Thursday night. But, uh, you know, give the Red Sox points for some resilience they scored all five of their runs after the seventh inning yeah. uh, and they got a lot of help it's not often that you have an opposing pitcher throw four count them four wild pitches in the same inning to kind of gift wrap the game for you but the Red Sox uh, accepted the gift and and got a big win at, at the start of a four-game series what would you think of Tanner Houck? Obviously, you know, he walked a couple of guys, but all in all, he looked pretty good, at least to me. What would you make of Houck and kind of uh, what kind of difference can he make down the stretch? Yeah, I, I thought Houck was very impressive. He had eight strikeouts in four and two-thirds innings, just a couple of hits. One was an infield hit. Um, the, the, the run against him was unearned. Uh, yeah. I understood them not bringing Houck back after a 55-minute delay. This is a guy who had some... Uh, forearm inflammation earlier in the year. Uh, it's his first start in the big league since mid-April. I don't think you want to push him too far. And I understood that with nearly an hour down, they didn't want to run him out there for the final out in the fifth inning and get another inning out of him. But I, I thought it was very encouraging what he gave the Red Sox. And um, I'm, I'm uh, intrigued by this experiment that they have where he's going to alternately – give them a spot start, one turn through the rotation, and then the next turn through the rotation, go back and give them multi-inning uh, bullpen outings. It, it's a, it, it's a, uh, a unique solution to the, the manpower issue they have. It allows the other five guys to basically stay on rhythm, but every other turn through get an extra day and, uh, you know, it shows some creative thinking on the part of the Red Sox to come to this. I can't think of another team that has tried to bounce a guy back and forth between the bullpen and the rotation on alternate turns through. Uh, so far, so good. He had uh, 
Um, you know, three innings of shutout ball uh, against the Yankees last Friday in Yankee Stadium, and he limited them to an unearned run in almost five innings on Thursday in this series opener. So they have to be encouraged by what they saw. The Red Sox can bury the Yankees, at least as it comes to the division this week, but uh, the Rays are a team certainly not going away, and they made a big move yesterday acquiring Nelson Cruz for a couple of prospects. What do you make of that move for Tampa? I thought it was a great move. You know, it's probably the best bat that was available uh, on the open market. Uh, Cruz is a guy who uh, immediately walks into any major league clubhouse and makes not only the team on the field better, but probably the off-field mix better. He's renowned as a a great teammate to have. He's been on some winning teams. He's been around. Uh, I think he relates to younger Latino players. He's a good leader. There's nothing not to like about what Nelson Cruz provides to you. And it's the kind of go-for-it move that the Rays uh, seldom make, often because of financial reasons. Cruz isn't making uh, a ton of money, but it's enough that in past years you would think it would have scared off Tampa from taking that salary on for the final couple of months. And it's a sign that they're serious. You know, This is a team that won the American League pennant last year, took the Dodgers to six games, I, I think, when you are a, a small market, small payroll team like Tampa Bay, you have to survey things and decide when to go for it. And, you know, they clearly see themselves as having this window now. And, uh, you know, they gave up a couple of small, uh, they gave up a couple of, of impressive young pitchers to get crews rental for just two months. But the way that Tampa Bay is able to develop pitching, I'm sure they think of it as, look, these two guys are good, but we'll find two more. We always do. And Cruz is the kind of guy that could really make a, a difference in the middle of that lineup. You know, if there's a if there's a weakness with that Rays team, I think it's the fact that, uh, you know, other than when maybe uh, a Rosarena is hot or, uh, you know, you, you, you've got a guy on a hot stretch, Tampa doesn't have that guy in the middle of their lineup that that really strikes fear into the opponents. Even at 40 years old and older, Cruz is that kind of presence, and it's a huge pickup for them. Sean McAdam covers the Red Sox, has for a long time. He's now with the Boston Sports Journal. He's got a podcast on the Believe Podcast Network with Steve Lyons. On your most recent podcast episode, you had on High and Bloom, Red Sox Chief Baseball Officer. I listened to the whole thing. I thought it was a great interview. I had a couple of reads on it, and I want your read on my reads. So um, even though he started the last two games, I really think that if they can, this team will try to move Michael Chavis. And I don't think he wants to move any of the big-time prospects because he wants to build a sustainable winner long-term, as he has told you and everybody else. He said something really interesting. He said, team control isn't the biggest thing that we look at, and – One guy might be really valuable in one situation and not another. That guy, to me, is Michael Chavis. He doesn't really have a long-term future on this team. And if not for the injuries to Gonzalez and Santana, I don't think he'd be playing a lot right now. Do you think Chavis is a guy who's clearly available? Uh, I think he is. I'm just not sure what his value is. Uh, To me, he's somebody that you throw into a deal with some other prospects, uh, You know, maybe to give a team – some major league help. I, you know, I, I don't know that Chavis 
even on a second division team, is necessarily an everyday player at this point. I don't know that he's ever going to be an everyday player. But we do know that he can handle a couple of different positions, at least adequately. To me, he's played a pretty good second base on the few occasions when he's been in there for the Red Sox at that position. He can handle himself around first. He's he's a better defensive option at first than than Bobby Dahlbeck is. But you know they they keep waiting for Dahlbeck to get to that power and and make up for the the swing and miss that is part of the equation with him. So yeah, they would certainly give up Chavis. He would not stand in the way of a deal getting done. I'm just not sure how valued he is by other teams. To me, he's a complementary piece in a deal, not the not the main part of a deal. We've focused a lot on this team's resurgence, so we've given a lot of credit to High and Bloom's shrewd moves and a lot of credit to Alex Cora. But one thing that Bloom said and you guys asked about that I think has gone under the radar is just the personality on this team. And I think that, you know, Kike Hernandez has provided it. Verdugo has provided it. Darwin's and Hernandez being healthy brings some personality to that bullpen. I think that's something that you guys rightly asked about that we've all kind of underreported on. How much more fun is this team than a couple years past? Yeah, I, I mean, I guess that's a tough measure from a reporter standpoint because while things have gotten better in terms of the pandemic and media access to the point where we can now be on the field during batting practice and have some interaction with the players, as you know, we're not back in the yeah. clubhouse and haven't True. been there since the end of the 2019 season or the beginning of spring training in 2020, I guess, is the last time. So not having that, um, I, I think, precludes you from getting a real sense of what this team is like on a day-to-day basis, how it interacts with one another. But if we're judging from what we see on the field, then, yeah, I, I think that uh, a guy like Kike Hernandez does bring some energy. And and the other thing to consider is you've got Hernandez coming off a World Series championship with the Dodgers. You have Marwin Gonzalez, who's uh, currently on the IL, but a guy who was part of a, a, a winning team with uh, Houston, part of the the uh, the controversial 2017 yeah. uh, Astros uh, club. Um, but those guys have been in uh, – Hunter Renfro was in the World Series last year, though yeah. uh, though on the losing side with Tampa. So I, I think that was a uh, uh, sort of an underreported part of what they were looking for when they put this team together, to not only maybe bring some personality and energy in, but also guys that had been in winning environments. And that sounds strange to be talking about that uh, being something you're searching for in Boston, because for the most part, this has been a pretty successful organization in recent history. But uh, they had a, a mediocre 2019 and a horrendous 2020. And I think one of the things, I'm not saying it was priority one when they went through their shopping list last winter, but all things being equal, I think they wanted players that had had some success and been in winning environments to uh, to integrate into that clubhouse mix. Sean McAdam covers the Red Sox. You can follow him on social media, and I encourage you to check out his podcast. This is our effing podcast, a Red Sox show. It's available uh, wherever you get your podcast, Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. His partner is former Sox player Steve Lyons, who we had on the show just last week, actually, ironically enough. So uh, it's a great listen, and uh, they're 12 episodes in and going strong now. So, Sean, we appreciate the time and perspective and look forward to uh, continuing to listen in the future. Thanks a lot, Brady. Appreciate it.